0: Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident Elliot Parker.
1: This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachian.
0: And Hello, friends. We welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers that write about and have connections to the Appalachian region. We are pleased to be joined today by South Carolina creative writer and teacher, uh, Dustin M. Hoffman, who writes mostly short stories about working people. Uh, His latest collection, No Good for Digging, was just released from WordWest Press. His other book of short stories, 100 Knuckled Fist, which came out Uh, by University of Nebraska Press, won the 2015 Prairie Schooner Book Prize. He spent 10 years painting houses in Michigan before getting his MFA in fiction writing from Bowling Green State University, and he also earned his Ph.D. in creative writing from Western Michigan University. His stories have appeared or are forthcoming in publications such as Black Warrior Review, Alaska Quarterly Review, Master's Review, and others. And he lives in South Carolina, as we mentioned, and teaches creative writing and literature at Winthrop University. So Dustin, I want to welcome you to Now Appalachia. Delighted to have you here and welcome to the program.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I wanted to ask you first, uh, before we start talking about your two collections of short stories, just for your thoughts on short story writing in general, um, the genre itself and why that appeals to you, why that genre appeals to you as a writer.
1: Yeah, I I love this question. I I definitely identify as a short story writer. Um, I've To me, it's the superior genre. And I know, of course, I'm biased, but I I love the conciseness and economy of it, that everything has to fit and go together. There's no no wasted space in the short story. And as a writer, too, I think it just appeals to me so much because I get to, um, I guess I don't get, maybe I have commitment issues. I don't get too tied down. I get to experiment, try on different characters and voices and perspectives constantly. and there's so much formal play with the short story as well. Um, there's, there's so much to enjoy, I think, in just like the play of the, um, of the form itself. I often tell my students that I think that a short story is maybe a little closer in its DNA to the, to the poem than it is to the novel, um, although I get a lot of uh, aspiring novelists in my uh, creative writing, my fiction writing workshops. Um, but I think, again, that... Ultimate economy of language, the conciseness of the thing, um, how much the ending is emphasized, you know, from even that first sentence are all these things I love about the, the short story.
0: I'm interested, too. Um, I love the comment that you made about working with students and students even that want to be aspiring novelists, because... I feel like learning how to write. I learned how to write short stories first, and once I kind of got my hand around that and a handle on that, then looking at a novel or taking that on as a writer was a lot easier. Do you find that to be the case too, uh, both as a writer and as a teacher of students and working with students who are wanting to be aspiring writers? And if they can kind of get their hands around the short story, then they can kind of work out from that to something like a novel.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think that can be the case, and I even. Um when i started teaching creative writing i uh, was teaching a multi-genre intro class like many of us do that was poetry and fiction and i'd always start with poetry because even that um, really helped a student write fiction better with you know starting with really thinking about the musicality of language and, and thinking about image and line um that helped them step into the short story and um and and maybe that that helps with um aspiring novelist too. I think, you know, that what the short story does, um, just for how long it is, it helps a, a writer um, conceptualize and, and execute narrative arc. Uh, and that's, you know, it, it's tough when my, sometimes I let my students do uh, novel excerpts in, in workshop, but I don't know if it's all that beneficial sometimes because then, you know, they don't have that, that very difficult uh, practice of, of ending a thing, of completing the arc uh, that you know the short story demands them to do. That they're going to have to as novelists eventually. I think I hear from a lot of students who um, who've started so many novel projects. They'll tell me about that, but you know, finishing the thing is is often the difficult part. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the short story can definitely help with that. Although I also sometimes I bristle a bit as a short story writer with this concept of, um, and, and and a lot of people say it like the short story is that stepping stone to the novel um, and they're not always so closely associated. Um, In fact, I I mean, I have felt a lot of novel writing pressure, you know, from hearing, that's what agents are only going to look at novels or the big, you know, if you want to publish with the big five, you got to have a novel. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. And I think we're seeing a bit of a shift to maybe uh, back to the short story. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I'll say I've, I've tried the novel, and I, I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> I think what, I've, what I've, I've finished a novel and shopped it around some and, uh, and published bits of it here and there, but probably what I did was write, you know, 20 um, uh, connected short stories, really. I can't, you know, I can't stop completing arcs in each chapter. And, you know, I don't think that's how the novel is supposed to be done. So so for me it's it, the short story has not translated that well to the novel form
0: very interesting. I, I'm glad you raised those points because I, I agree with you, too, and I, I think there are a lot of um, sort of urban legends that have festered out of that whole issue of short stories versus novels, and do you need to master one before uh, before you do the other? So let's talk about your first collection of short stories, 100 Knuckled Fist, which, as we mentioned, uh, was published by University of Nebraska Press and won the 2015 Prairie Schooner Book Prize. One of the things I really liked about your collection is that you're writing about um, ordinary people and people that live kind of the hard scrabble lives that we often think of for people working in these kinds of industries and professions. So you write about painters, you write about drywall finishers, carpenters, roofers, um, you know, everybody that's just kind of trying to survive this this dangerous, uh, physically demanding job uh, that they have. Um we even have snake salesmen. We have ice cream truck drivers. And I'm gonna ask you a question about one of those stories in just a second. But um what what is it about about that group of people that makes them interesting for you as a writer to kind of focus on and to build a collection of stories around?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm fascinated by uh by work and I think it um it probably goes back to my my um my work my own working experience. I did construction for 10 years, as you noted in my bio. Um and when I got into creative writing classes and started really taking writing seriously, I was um I was struggling a bit at first to find like my voice, my subject matter, what I had new to offer and um you know, it took me it took me a little while I, I, but I had a really good teacher who looked at one of the stories I'd written about a, a about a drywall finisher was the first one I'd written about a working person and and he really liked that story and um and helped foster that um well I guess it helped validate that like these are interesting subjects to write about and and then I really ran with it you know this was um, I noticed that this is something that's missing from literature also working class people and especially working class people on the job are not are not written about that much historically and and, and even now but then beyond that, I mean I just personally I just find jobs so fascinating every job has its own language um, its own like killer details, like every, I, I've said this before, but I always like every employee's only door. I want to get back there and see, uh, see what's going on. There's always something fascinating. And, um, you know, I could try to convince my students of this too, the subject matter they have, like if they flip burgers over the summer or like worked at a summer camp or were a lifeguard or something, they have such great material to work with that probably beats like their Harry Potter you know, re-envisioned world that, that they might uh, jump to. But like, the, I think we're all fascinated by like how the sausage is made, how the burgers are made back there, you know. Um, uh, so, th- so that's helped me a lot. I mean, especially language, though, language of work I find so fascinating.
0: Very good. And one of your short stories in your collection was my favorite. And, um, I mean, I was literally laughing out loud when I read it and I had to read it. I read it twice and I laughed out loud, I think harder and louder the second time than I did the first time. And this ties into some of those things you were talking about, about work and, you know, kind of what goes on behind the veiled curtain of some of these industries and people that work in these industries and professions. And, uh, that was the story ice cream dream.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and I, I love this because it's, it's a kind of an ice cream truck racketeering story. Um, Tell us a little bit about kind of what goes on in that story and where on earth did you get the inspiration to have a racketeering sort of story set around an ice cream truck? Because it was, it was just fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well um, uh, so, so the story is um, about an ice cream truck driver um, uh, trying to make a living and then he, he runs into, a uh, rival ice cream truck crew who um, who end up beating him with ice cream scoops, and uh, they wear um, they wear Jimmy Carter masks um, uh, to hide their shield their identities and such. Anyway, I, and and it kind of spills into some weird working class um, uh, environments uh, as the story progresses. But um, so I, I guess the progression of the story was natural to me um, to get to like. Um, an ice cream truck seller who eventually is selling to working class people or to um, uh, to construction workers on the trade sites. Uh, the initial idea, I mean, I'll say like, um, in the summers, the, houses, the house I lived at in Kalamazoo, we'd have, you know, an ice cream truck that would just creep by while I was out on my porch riding, and, you know, at two miles per hour and it was as creepy as could be, playing its little jingle and, um, so I'm, I was fascinated by work and what might go on behind this uh, this environment. Um, and, it, and especially I, I think the, the narrator who pops into this story is one who's very cynical and kind of hates kids and customers, um, which probably ends up, we, we learned stemming from his own uh, missing children in the story. Um, but I, yeah, I had a lot of fun writing that. And after that story came out, um, my uh, um, one of my editors emailed me, um, and this is after the book was out. And there was a, a, a story, I think New York Times did one, a few places did it, but uh, they were writing. Uh, I guess this there are these real ice cream truck feuds that happen in New York City with like real violence between the ice cream trucks. And I hadn't known about that before, and it's probably not like too hard to imagine, but. Anyway, that my editor emailed and was like, "It's real. It's all real. Everything you wrote." Um, and again, maybe not surprising.
0: Very good. Uh, yeah, it was my favorite story. There's so many great stories uh, in that collection, but that that was my favorite one because I can remember uh, that that similar circumstance when I was a kid growing up back when you had the ice cream trucks and you know they'd come through the neighborhood playing the sounds and it didn't matter what you were doing or if you'd eaten dinner or had you know everybody flocked. All the kids in the neighborhood flocked uh, to get ice cream. But uh, I love the whole, the whole twist that you put on that, which is really fantastic. Thank well, you, your yeah. second uh, short story collection has just come out at the uh, time of our taping of this interview. Uh, no good for digging came out from a uh, West or uh, word West press. Um, and I wanted to read just the opening line. Um, Uh, from one of the stories, uh, and I believe this is the story, uh, A Nesting, Uh, and ask you to just give us uh, some context uh, behind that, because I think it ties back into some of the things you were saying a moment ago, and also uh, those people that we've been talking about, the the drywallers, and those people that are doing kind of the labor jobs uh, that Mm -hmm. were featured in your first collection. But at the beginning of this, you say, we blame the drywallers, and they blame the framers, and they blamed the landscapers, but we all carried hammers. They hung at our hips, nestled in our truck beds, rested like the dead in toolbox caskets. Any one of us could have punched a hole and turned finished walls into fluttering. What's going on there? Um, Well, you know,
1: at a literal sense, you know, this, um, uh, these birds trapped in the wall, like any, anyone could have saved them. But I think, um, uh, and, and, this, we did encounter this a couple of times in in, in the construction world. Um, and uh, uh, and it's a tough thing to do. Like you've been working on this, you've been creating these walls. So many people have had their hands on it. And how do you go about, you know, demolishing something you've created? Um, of course, you know, the piece, I hope it speaks on a bigger level to uh, this idea of, um, of, of, Placing the blame elsewhere, so we don't have to accept responsibility. Uh, you know, I, I I was working construction um, during the building boom, right up into the recession, uh, and I think about that a lot. I escaped just before the recession, but a lot of um, a lot of my friends lost their jobs, lost their tools, left construction forever. We still have this huge deficit for um, construction workers and tradespeople in, in America. I mean, try to get a plumber right now um it's so difficult you know and it's still like a holdover from this recession where we lost so many of those people but you know i think to me this this is a hundred word story that i hope speaks speaks to some bigger subjects like this um uh, but you know the recession is a perfect example of like who do we blame you know the uh we really struggled with this as a country you know the the homeowners who who bought these houses when they probably couldn't afford them, but they were being tricked into these subprime mortgages, of course, and then, you know, the bankers have all these problems, but then there's government regulation that that could have done more. Anyway, you know, there's lots of blame to be placed uh, everywhere with, with something like the recession, just like these these beautiful, sad birds in, inside the walls.
0: Yeah, very good. And. I wanted to ask you, too, about, you know, there's 31 stories in this collection, and I'll ask you about a couple others, Uh, ask you to comment on a couple others in just a second. But, um, you know, one of the things I liked about your collection, too, is that every story was different in terms of length. We were talking earlier about some of the stereotypes that oftentimes get attached to short stories and novels and who's writing in what genre and what should you be doing. But, um, it, you know, there, there are some stories that that are really short in length. You have some stories in there that are 10 pages. You've got some stories in there, uh, that are in the middle. And I was wondering from a, uh, an artistic perspective and a stylistic perspective uh, did you set out to do that or is it just one of those situations where you write until you feel like the story is told and if you can tell it in a hundred words great if it takes you five thousand words uh, then so be it how did all that come together for you
1: um well uh, this this collection is has been um kind of creating itself over well over a decade uh and i'm a big believer of um you know, letting a story dictate its own length. Um, often when I draft, I just, I let everything go in. I'm a I'm a kitchen sink type of writer and I, and then I'll cut back as much as possible. So, you know, to get to a hundred word story like a nesting, I mean, that's going to take at least, you know, 500 words uh, to hack away to, to the most essential. But at the same time, I I really love working within uh, constraints. I, I find that exciting, exciting as a short story writer, like, what kind of story can be accomplished in in one page or or in five pages? I mean, even ten pages has a has a constraint within it um, that asks you to tell a different kind of story. Um, there's one story in here called "Pitch." That's um, it's tw- it's about 1,200 words long, but it's a single sentence, uh, and I I didn't cheat. No semicolons in there. I tried to make it a grammatically correct 1,200 word sentence, but you know, again, I, w- I was I was inspired by uh, a, a constraint like that, like how long can i can I make one single sentence go to tell a story um, and this collection i 'll say you know you noted the varying lengths um, that was really exciting putting this thing together to um, to think how these very differently structured stories can speak together and the the collection as a whole i hope is kind of a a playground of different things that flash fiction and short story can accomplish, um, yet tied together with, I I hope, some working class themes.
0: So who are some writers that influence or inspire you?
1: Uh, So George Saunders is my big go-to writer. I I love absolutely everything he's written, Um, and I I read him again and again. Um, Donald Barthelme is big for me too. He's uh, He's such a playful, form-driven short story writer, um, and Bonnie Jill Campbell's a favorite of mine from um, from Cal- She she's uh, from Kalamazoo or uh, Comstock, which is a little suburb of Kalamazoo, uh, but she's a wonderful uh, working-class writer um, who really looks at Michigan characters, especially. But like her gritty realism has been has been very inspiring to me. Um, and Toni Morrison is uh, one of those writers that always inspires me, and I reread again and again, and I wish I could write like her. I think I write nothing like her, but, but still a constant inspiration.
0: That's great. Yes, all, all very good writers, especially uh, Toni Morrison and George Saunders, and if anybody um, just wants some good literature to read or is aspiring to be a good writer or to be a writer at all. uh, Those are two authors to really check out because the the way they construct sentences and prose and the character development and everything is is just fantastic. I want to go back to your collection, uh, No Good for Digging, because there's one character in one story I wanted to ask you about uh, and it caught my attention. And that is uh, a character named uh, Barry and Barry has an assistant. Uh, and there's something in that story called the escape cube, which really caught my attention. And it was one of my favorite stories. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, Barry and his assistant and what's going on with the escape cube?
1: Um, so, uh, so, um, uh, Barry's a, a magician who, um, uh, has buried his assistant to, to test out the escape cube that, uh, well, his, uh, his prop man, his working class prop man for the magician is, uh, has constructed this um, plexiglass um, uh, transparent escape cube that will be buried underground so the magician can um, do one of those kind of escape acts. Um, so the whole story takes place within this buried escape cube. Um, and, uh, and I, I'm really into like crucible setting stories. So, you know, stuck in these really confined settings. And I was thinking like, what's more, what could possibly be more confined than being buried alive and, and pulling off a story in a couple of pages? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of hate magic, <laughs> I'll say. And there's a lot of magic in this, uh, in this collection. Um, I, I shouldn't say I hate magic, but like magicians are so like creepy and weird. Um, and maybe that draws me to writing about him. But I, I always have to kind of find the working class spin. So, you know, here's, here's a story from uh, uh, a working class uh, magic world character, the person who's building the props, uh, and he's forced into testing one
0: yeah and i that 's i'd love that story because I agree with you about magicians and i I was reading that thinking about the, all the birthday parties I went to as a little kid where the entertainment at the party was the magician, and he you know would pull a pull a quarter out from behind your ear and pull something out from under his his sleeve and looking back on that it was it was it was quite creepy and uh I, I like that there's a there is a creepiness factor uh, to that story Something else I really liked about your collection is that I felt like you know even though you're writing about um people that are that are doing kind of this hard scrabble type of work um I felt like i was I was um surprised almost uh, as I went through each story because I never kind of knew what direction you were going to take uh in terms of taking these sort of seemingly ordinary people and the kind of circumstances or the extraordinary circumstances um you were going to put them in, and I wondered if if that is something that um thematically um, sort of kind of happens organically as you're writing short fiction, or uh, do you set out and kind of think about, okay, I want to take this person doing X profession and put them in a situation that kind of flips those expectations and those norms on its head a little bit uh, and puts them in a different set of circumstances. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that and and not only how that worked into uh, no good for digging, but also how that worked into um, your first story collection, 100 knuckled fist.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think I do often start with um, a job I'm fascinated by. But just as you said, you know, I'm I'm really interested in in challenging the stereotypes um, like that that we have about construction workers, say. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of them carried there about like, you know, the misogyny in these worlds and um, how, you know, these folks can be uneducated. I'm doing air quotes right now that you're your listeners can't hear, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I worked with a lot of these people who were, who were so wise and interesting and had their, like, they could swear so beautifully, which I always wanted to capture that, like just the beautiful use of the F word, for example, there's a poetry in it if, if handled well. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess I wanted to play with like these, you know, these stereotypes we carry about, uh, about intelligence and such. Um, and at the same time, uh, I never want to shy away from the reality of these jobs too, that indeed there is uh, misogyny and there is violence and there is um, a very uh, gritty um, difficulty to these jobs. And I, you know, I think um, that's that's part of what I often set out to do is um, giving a realistic perspective, a representation to these jobs, but, but not letting the, the readers kind of sit on their assumptions. You know, something I, not to get too political, but I often bring this up when, when writing about working class people, I think, you know, there's a danger in, there, there's two big dangers. And w- one, in ignoring these essential people who work so hard to, you know, provide, you know, our homes, our food, uh, and on the other side, there's a danger in over romanticizing uh, work too, where, you know, if we just say, um, uh, if, if we just say these people are great and this world is needed and these people are great, but they're also exploited and abused. And, um, so I guess I'm, I'm getting a little outside of the work itself here. Um, so, you know, I, I, guess from a writer's point of view, I'm looking for the humanity and the surprising, uh, character driven story that, that can emerge out, out of one's expectations, perhaps. Sorry, I'm getting, I, I'm always, I, I never allow my students to get this kind of broad and didactic in, in their own writing. And here I am doing it.
0: No, I think that was great. I, I think that was really great and very insightful. So my next question, what is Dustin Hoffman working on next? You've got this latest short story collection that's come out. Uh, you've won the uh, Prairie Schrooner prize for your first short story collection. So what do you have in the pipeline? What are you working on next?
1: T- too many things. I, I uh I I like the Virginia Woolf philosophy of like working on four or five things at the same time and I, I probably have um I probably do that a little too much. You know, I I've, I've been coming back to the short story more and I have um another collection that's that's pretty near completion at this point that will be um a, a little more traditional and fuller lengths of short stories um but I am working on that with um uh, with an agent right now. Um and and i'm I'm excited about that, and then um, I have a novel that I'm kind of pushing to the back burner that uh, I was mentioning earlier that's probably just a bunch of linked short stories, but that's about my uh my hometown in elma michigan um in the uh, around the turn of the millennium um and then I've been researching another novel on uh, or another novel idea about the um, um the the convict labor system in the um uh, in uh, South Carolina and all throughout the South. Uh, so, Winthrop University was, was made, uh, was constructed originally. That's where I teach at Winthrop University, but it was constructed with the convict labor system uh, in the 1890s. Uh, Clemson University was as well. It was a really horrific uh, system that mostly involved uh, wrongfully imprisoned black men and women uh, um, who were forced to do after slavery was, uh, was made illegal, we're were forced uh, into this, this new system of slavery, basically. Um, so it's a really horrific mark in our history. Um, and, and one that you know, also brings up all these working class themes that I find really interesting. Um, so I, you know, I feel like I'm so buried in the research for, for this novel, I feel like it could be decades before I get it right. Probably somebody else is gonna knock it out before me.
0: Very good. Excellent. So in our final moments with you, Dustin, if someone wants to get in contact with you uh, to talk to you about your writing, uh, to, to ask you any questions or get in contact with you, how can they do that first of all? And secondly, where can they get copies of 100 knuckled fist and where can they get copies of no gold for digging?
1: Um, my, uh, so my website, I think has a content, it does have a contact form on it. So Dustin M uh, and they can, uh, Folks can reach me there. I'm also on I'm Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that, all that junky social media stuff, uh, and plenty of pictures of my kids on there as well. My lovely children. Um, it is important that folks remember my middle initial because there's some other Dustin Hoffman guy out there that you know, <laughs> searching for I, me a little tricky.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine who that other Dustin Hoffman might be. But <laughs>
1: um, and then as far as uh, purchasing the books, uh, they're they're available. They're widely distributed. So um, you know all the likely suspects and big online places that I don't feel like mentioning even what the name of them are, you can purchase them there. But I'd, I'd highly recommend going through your local indie bookstore. They can all uh, you know, they can all order them. You can use Indie Bound to, uh, to order copies as well or go direct to the, um, the presses themselves. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. So Word West's website or uh, University of Nebraska Press's website, you can purchase the books from there.
0: Dustin M. Hoffman has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We've been talking to him about his two outstanding short story collections. One is 100 Knuckled Fist, and the second one just out. Uh, in early December is no good for digging from word west press his first short story collection 100 knuckled fist won the 2015 prairie schooner book prize and he's currently teaching uh literature and creative writing at winthrop university and living in south carolina dustin congratulations uh on uh, another outstanding collection of short stories and it's really terrific and i hope our readers will check it out and also check out your first collection as well and uh, as you get that third short story collection done uh, we'd love to have you back on now appalachia to talk about it so thanks so much for being here
1: thanks so much for having me it was great
0: And we also want to take a moment to thank the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack, and we appreciate all the support and work that she does behind the scenes to make this podcast possible. And we also want to remind you that this is a podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, I'm Elliot Parker. Stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope.
1: owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.